Before you drift off into one of our meditations or dive into a podcast interview, I would like to share with you one of the new opportunities for our listeners at The Mindful Movement. This is Sarah Raymond, and I'm so excited to announce the expansion of our coaching services to include two of my good friends and excellent coaches, Nikki Dyer and Laura Cannon. Both Nikki and Laura provide their own unique skill sets, allowing us to meet the needs of our growing audience. If you want to learn more, just follow the coaching link in the show notes. As always, we are grateful for your support and look forward to working with you. Hello, and welcome to the Mindful Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Les Raymond. Thanks for joining me today for another episode. Today, we speak about stress. I think everybody out there knows stress can be a real problem. I don't think we can get through the human experience without dealing with a heavy dose of stress along the way. It seems like suffering is just part of life. And the ability to manage that suffering seems to have a really big impact on the quality of our life. What I've noticed over the years is different people manage stress differently. And many of us don't even really understand the stress that's coming our way. We don't even really see it as stress. And granted, we have mechanisms in our body to really help us get through life by having stressful responses in acute situations. But it seems like over time, these stresses on a chronic level can really weigh on our quality of life, whether it be our mental and emotional well-being, our our physical well-being and the way that we relate to others in our lives and the way that we can perform. Today, I get to speak with Dr. Dave Rabin from Apollo Neuro. Apollo Neuro makes a device that allows us to help manage the stress in our lives a little bit better. And I'm a big fan of it. It's easy to use. That's one of the things I really like. I'm wearing it right now. You can see it if you're watching the video. I have it on my wrist. Normally, I wear it on my ankle. But, um, you know, taste and preference. I'm just trying it a little different today. There's something about it. It uses sound and vibration for therapy. And just the fact that that can be done, I find really fascinating. I find it to be very soothing to wear this device. And I've recognized that over time using it, it's helped me not just manage stressful situation in the moment, but I think as I wear it over time, it's really allowed me to be just more calm in general through the everyday stresses that life presents. So I'm interested in sharing with the audience more about how it works and how Dr. Dave got into the creation of this. But I think it's really great and I think it's something that most people would really benefit from and they've been nice enough to extend an offer. So if you check the description or the show notes, you will find a link if you want to explore uh, the device yourself. Apollo Neuro has made this device that has actually successfully gone through several clinical studies. So they have proven, I guess, scientifically that it can reduce stress and feelings of anxiety. And I think it also showed benefits um, in categories of like sleep and heart rate variability, which I don't 100% understand what heart rate variability is, but it's supposed to be a uh, big deal. But um, I 
I'm grateful that exists and I'm grateful for Apollo Neuro to sending Dr. Dave on the podcast so that we could all learn a little bit more. I hope you enjoy the episode. Dr. Dave Rabin, thanks for joining me today on the Mindful Movement Podcast. I really appreciate you making the time. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Les. Sure. I, so I've been wearing this thing off and on for the last few years, a little device. I actually see you have one on your collar now. And over the last few months, my wife and my daughter have grown to like this. I'm not exactly sure how it's working or how it's helping, but it's proven to be a tool that we like having in the house. And I'm really grateful that it exists. And I, first of all, I want to say thank you for your role in making it manifest in its physical form and be available. So thank you. That's my pleasure. Thank you for that. I'm so it's glad you're, you're enjoying it. Yeah, it's, it's cool. And um, it's funny, I got introduced to it, you know, when I was doing a little research on you to prepare for this, I was drawn to the fact that you have done a lot of work in the world of like plant medicines and psychedelics, which I wasn't really planning on talking about today. But it's funny because I actually found out about the Apollo device through psychedelics. I was having a real rough time. This was right around the beginning of the pandemic. And it was kind of a perfect storm of not just like the mental and emotional stress involved with what was going on in everyone's life, but I was dealing with some real physical problems too. And uh, my wife and I got together with one of her friends who I guess has a lot of experience in that realm and tried to recommend me to um, to go have a, uh, as he put it, a macro dose, which terrified me. I remember from when I was young, having some good experiences, but the last experience I had as a teenager was a, a real terrible, terrifying experience. And I kind of wrote those off forever, I think, in my mind at the time. Um, but he convinced me to take a look. I stopped by to see him and he gifted me something and I decided to uh, do the micro dose strategy and ease my way in, even though he recommended against that. I'm glad I stuck with my recommendation. But while I was there receiving a gift in the realm of plant medicine, he mentioned, by the way, I'm in love with this new toy. You got to check it out, this new device. And I said, I'll check it out. And he mentioned the Apollo. I came back and did some research on it. And I was glad to see it was very accessible in the um, wellness technology world. There's a lot of things that seem cool and are cool and are not very financially accessible. And I was pleased to see that, oh, this is definitely worth trying. And quickly grew to have it as like a, a regular tool I use to help me through a really tough time in my life. Um, I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah, it's, it it's, it's wild. And I would, I would love to hear, I do have some questions about the psychedelic stuff, but I would love to hear um, more about how this works and, and maybe even like what was your first experience with any vibrational based therapy or medicine and what your initial like reaction, what you, what your initial thoughts were to it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think maybe I'll start with that because my, that's, that's kind of where everything started, right? Which is that my initial experience with vibration was going, was listening to music, right? It was feeling and hearing music that changed the way I felt. And I think the, 
the times that I remember this the most vividly were, you know, listening to like the magic flute by Mozart or Vivaldi's four seasons or Peter Paul and Mary on set tape, when I'm falling asleep as a kid. Right. And you're, and you know, in the moment, you don't know why necessarily, but you, we all know when we listen to that music that it feels calming. And when it feels calming, it helps us fall asleep. Right. So all of that was really helpful in just kind of giving me that, that feeling, that notion, that music sound, which is waves of vibration that we hear can change the way we feel and change how much energy we have, right? Because then you then you also get exposed to energizing music later on in life, which for me was probably like around like eight or 10 when I, when I like found my dad's Devo mixtape and I started to realize that like <laughs> rock and roll and punk existed. And then I was like, okay, there's a whole nother world of music out here I had no idea about. Um, and then I started to listen to music that actually gave me energy, which was interesting, right? And and so, I, you know, there was this acute, acute knowing without understanding exactly why it was happening, but that my body was changing and feeling differently in response to music. So, and then, and then of course you go to your first concert and you stand anywhere in the vicinity of a subwoofer, right? And you feel that sound in your body, like in your bones, and you know, without a doubt that it is changing your physiology, right? There's absolutely without question, you could feel your heartbeat change. You could feel your breath rate change. You could feel distinctly different in your body within moments of just being around one of these subwoofers in certain situations, right? So it's un, it creates an undeniable effect. And, and between those experiences and having, you know, a number of them over the years, I just piqued my interest into, you know, well, what else can sound do to the body, right? What, a, what else can, can frequencies do and how can they, how can we work with them better to get more of that of that positive benefit out of sound that we might not, we might be ignoring, right? Because frequencies, there's infinite frequencies in the world. Maybe, maybe we can use sound waves a different way that aren't exactly what we were taught. And so that led to, you know, years, many, many years later, many years later, when I was working in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, and we were working on new treatments for PTSD, we thought, well, originally we thought, well, we can use electricity to change by creating a little tapping tapping electrical small electrical shock on the body that is very very low level tapping which now is is a medical product but you could use that back in the day before it was a product to to tap on the vagus nerve and the vagus nerve with these electrical signals would activate and create a a parasympathetic state which is what's commonly induced by deep breathing or meditation or any of these other techniques but when we tried to take that product out of the lab Catherine, my wife, who's the CEO of Apollo, said, hey, uh, we were engaged at the time. And she's like, hey, if you want to make this successful consumer product, you better think of a different way to, to do it than shocking people to feel good because most people aren't going to go for that. We didn't believe her. So she did a big survey. She showed us that she was, in fact, right. We were wrong. And then she said, well, can you do it any other way? And so we started to think back to music and then and vibration. And we started to play with that more and musical rhythms and musical rhythms that were composed instead of for the ear because the ears, we need our ears for all the day-to-day -day life stuff we do, right? We can't have our ears occupied by lots of calming noises when we're in a meeting or when we're driving, or it needs to be, there needs to be balance with our ears because they're so sensitive and used for so much stuff, but we barely use our skin for anything. And our skin is one of the most powerful safety pathways to the emotional cortex of our brain that reminds us that we're safe and calm and present in our bodies and able to take a deep breath and be, and be present and calm in the moment. And uh, control our attention. And so we started to explore that 
which led ultimately to figuring out musically and mathematically how to compose music for the skin instead of the ears using low frequency sound. And that's what Apollo does. That's wild. So you speak of the skin as a pathway. I've, I've never heard that referred that way. A pathway to, I think you referred to a part of the brain. I didn't catch it. Um, oh, the oh, the limbic system or the emotional cortex. The emotional cortex. Okay. So yeah. the skin is a direct pathway to that. So, well, so all sensory emotions are, some are stronger than others. Skin is one of the, because we have such, we have like, you know, five to seven different kinds of maybe more touch receptors in our skin. And they're exquisitely sensitive to touch of positive and negative varieties and neutral varieties. The neutral ones, like the feeling of our clothes in our bodies, we tend to tune out because it doesn't mean anything, right? But the feeling of a hug feels pretty darn good. And the feeling of a hot stove feels pretty darn bad, right? right? And those all introduce a huge neurochemical signaling cascade that happens from the moment we experience that hug or that stove all the way into the center of our brains and our emotional cortex and either say, in the case of the hug, you're safe right now, or in the case of the stove, get the F out of there right now, right? Mm -hmm. And that's an automated, hardwired response that goes back all the way to ancient mammals, tens of millions of years old. Oh, interesting. Right? So that's what the modern neuroscience over the last 20 years has shown is happening and how the brain works. And then we can start to control, start to regulate it more effectively or make the most out of it by learning those basic rules. And then from those basic rules, we could say, okay, well then I'm going to surround myself as best I can with more safety type stimulation, because that trains my body to feel safer over time rather than afraid all the time. And that's effectively what Apollo does. It's what music does too, but Apollo does it in a wearable, like what's on my chest that you can take on the go anywhere you are doing anything that you might otherwise be doing. That's awesome. So you recognized at a pretty early age that music had an effect on how you felt. And then over a long period of time, I'm sure there was a big jump there where you found this application in a field that you had other interest in. Um, yeah, maybe so like 20, 25 years later or something. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. Isn't that cool how life unfolds like that? Um, yeah, music is such a powerful thing. I went, I remember we had, uh, I don't, you ever hear the name Krishna Das? He he's sings in like Sanskrit's like uh, call and response chanting. I went to one of his live performances once. He's been on the podcast and the physical sensation of the sound from the night, like I walked out of there a different person. I didn't know what happened right. to me. It was wild. And it was like a turning point for me to like, oh, wow, music is not just for entertainment. Um, and And then through a little bit of research found out they've been using music in different ways to help people heal for a long time. So you're drawing the connection of sound, but taking the ears out of the way. So it's not like a distraction to life, essentially, right. because of that we have tasks as adults that we got to carry out or whatever, um, but still using the same technology, the same sensory. Well, I guess it's a different sense. You're using that tux instead of the here, but the same like delivery signal of sound which i guess there's a lot of sound out there that we can't hear we're limited you know the range that our ear can pick up but our body can feel all kinds of other ranges of this infinite spectrum that sound exists in so how do you figure out was that was that already known prior like what frequencies um get the response that you were looking for is that already known and you just applied that or did was that part of the research process of developing Apollo. Yeah, that was a big part of the research process. There was little bits and pieces known, 
it was known that certain that touch impacts the nervous system in a certain way when it's delivered in a certain way, right? Like soothing massage increases parasympathetic tone, and we can measure that. And you know, in, intense vibration increases sympathetic tone, decreases parasympathetic tone. So some of the stuff was already known, and so we had some anchor points to go from. So we weren't starting completely from scratch, um, and we also knew how biofeedback works and how the rhythms of the heart and lungs are critical, like absolutely fundamentally essential to the achieving of these highly present, highly functioning human states of being that are more of ourselves, right? They're experiencing more of life on a moment to moment basis. And that is a, and that there's a, a, you know, kind of like a state change that has to happen, but, but it's a state change that's available to all of us. We just spend a lot of time resisting it, frankly. Right. That's great. So it's like, how do you, how do you grease the wheels effectively okay. to make it easier to slide into the way things are, which is actually more under control than we think. It's like, it helps us remember, come home. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The body is always, another way we think about it is the body, our bodies are always here in the here and now. Our minds can be anywhere. It can be the past, present, future, right? Usually they're in the past projecting out into the future. That's where most of our minds live and spend most of their time. But we don't have control over the past. The past has happened. We can't change it. And we don't, we're notoriously terrible at predicting the future, right? So if you think about where we're spending most of our time, it's in a state of feeling out of control because we can't change the past and we're terrible at predicting the future. And so we wind up just feeling like failures all the time, right? Which is like victims of our own circumstance. All of a sudden, if you if you shift that to remembering to breathe for a moment and express gratitude for yourself, all of a sudden, our minds center into our bodies, which are always in the here and now. They're always present. They don't really go anywhere, right? They're just here because um, they can't go anywhere. And we center our minds into our bodies using a breath practice, just like taking one deep breath intentionally, taking one deep breath and just paying attention to the feeling of the air coming in and filling our lungs and going out and leaving our lungs. And that one cycle, which takes maybe 10 or 15 seconds, significantly increases our ability to, to you know, basically feel balanced, self-connected, and centered in our bodies. It draws our attention to our bodies rather than to the past, future, something else that's going on, like what's going on in other people's heads. Like, what are they thinking about me right now? Right. We can't do anything about that. And right? it seems to be a muscle we could flex, like that act of exactly. paying attention is a muscle you flex. And I relate it just to the gym. Like you go to the gym and you lift weights and you become stronger later that day or the following week, you're not in the gym, but now you're stronger. It's like, as you practice something, you just become more of it. And you slip into that, as you say, easier, there's less resistance. With my experience, when I'm using the Apollo, it's I the way I interpret it and is that when I feel there's this for the listeners, it's like this periodic, this um, this rhythm where this vibration emerges softly and then dissipates and it's super subtle. You barely notice it. But this moment where your brain is registering that you do notice it, it's like the paying attention to your breath. You can't be there recognizing it and be somewhere else like in the world of anxiety or depression simultaneously so you get this i don't know every 
you know, 20 seconds, whatever, this little reminder to like, look over here, feel over here, or your body's like hearing this thing. And it's this real subtle in the back of your mind, this recognition that it's there. And it's like, you're flexing that muscle of not being somewhere else. Am I, um, is that kind of the intention of how it works? Or part of it? Sorry, yes, 100%. Okay. Yep, it's just a muscle that you're working out. It's training. We were trained to do it the way we do it. That may or may not be serving us most of the time. If we acknowledge that that's the case and it's just a matter of training, then it's really just about flexing those those new muscles more often that help us get what we want, which is our attention and our gratitude to start. Those are the two fundamental starting points. And then intention, of course, which is directing, choosing to direct our attention towards some purpose or some goal, right? is the intention because our attention can be captured captivated in it unintentionally un, unintentionally which is most of what happens most of the time where people are walking around you're having a conversation and the tv's on you're like what's you know, looking around and i do this all the time because i also just you know get distracted easily but it's a constant it's just like with meditation our thoughts will wander to things that are not our breath when we're meditating it's not an opportunity to shame yourself it's an opportunity to gently say, hey, I just noticed my thoughts are wandering. Let's redirect back to the source of the conversation, the source of the breath work, the source of the meditation, whatever it is, right? All right. Let, um, I'd like to touch on maybe how this relation, how this relates to health a little bit. Um, at the Mindful Movement, always kind of trying to encourage people or empower folks to play a bigger role in their sense of well-being. And it seems like everybody, uh, I would say everybody has something to like heal from. A lot of folks, I think, are not necessarily aware yet. And, you know, everybody journey journey unfolds at you know, their own rate. But I know that many of the people I speak to are like working on something. They're dealing with something. So how would you describe how this act of being able to slip into that parasympathetic state, that that like soft reminder to be here, be present. How does that relate to someone that's dealing with something that's manifesting more physically that they might not even um, be able to examine it in a way where they think it's linked to like thoughts or um, the, the way they're going about their life. It's just, you know, they see the squeaky wheel, the thing that hurts. How does it do what it does? How does what do what it does? Like, uh. How does the uh, wearing a device oh, oh, wearing is Apollo. Oh, putting yes. sound, a, a gentle sound frequency on your skin helps someone move their like healing journey along? And I'm I not saying you. it's like a magic pill where right. it's boom, but it it clearly for me, like it supports the process in a very, in a surprisingly powerful way. Yeah, that's a really nice way to describe it. It is really a support for the process that we all have to take, right? It's a life healing is a lifelong process. You know, it's it's really just about being present with the process. And I think the reason why Apollo helps so much in that regard, even for physical illnesses and people who are struggling with physical illness of different kinds, not all, of course, but many chronic illnesses in particular, is that chronic illness in general, chronic pain, chronic insomnia. Um, chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, things of that nature, and some metabolic disorders and things like high blood pressure, et cetera, they're in large part linked to stress, right? Chronic stress, stress over time, it's unaddressed, 
that where we don't have adequate time to recover, to sleep, to take care of ourselves, treat ourselves nicely, do things that we enjoy that are fun, that are considered to be like playful things, without having that recovery time, we will burn out. And, and so Apollo, in a way, for people who are in these situations, starting to already notice that they might be having symptoms of burnout or symptoms of, of stress or what they don't not, they may not even know it's illness yet, right? These people are helped by Apollo because Apollo speeds up recovery, right? It makes it easier to transition into a recovery state because it greases the wheels between stress and work and recovery and play by giving you a soundtrack for your body to transition to. Does that make sense? Sure. So you're basically just reducing the general stress level, allowing the body to do what it already knows how to do. Right. You calm the body, you clear the mind. The body's thinking when we're stressed out up here, like we have too many emails, we're stuck in traffic, too many responsibilities, too much news, whatever. That sends a signal to this that we're overstimulated. Even if those are not survival threats, it's saying you're overstimulated. Too much coming in not enough time to process what's coming in. What do I do about all this information? And so we kind of stuff it down rather than actually allowing it to just pass in and out and process it, figure out for it to go somewhere that's not in here or in here. And so it gets stored in our bodies. So ultimately the, the processing of information part, we get overstimulated, it gets stuck. And so we end up wanting to relax but we can't because our bodies are like i'm still so stressed like i still feel like there's unfinished business you know like i can't <laughs> let go right? right and that's not an ideal state that's a state that has learned to be stressed out it's been trained to be stressed out right it is literally well being practiced. trained well practiced right like just sitting in a chair right now like i'm training my body to sit in chairs like that's probably not the best thing for me which is why i try to take a nice long walk or get my heart rate up every day right but that's right. It, but I have to, I have to prioritize that walk and that exercise almost every single day, or I will not feel good because I'm, my life, unfortunately has me sitting in a chair more often than I would like. Right. So I, impl I implement in my life, a scheduled time where I know I'm going to recover that is prioritized to recharge my batteries. Right. And my body's like, oh, okay. He doesn't spend his whole life in a chair. Right. We, we could be, we can, we can decrease those pains. We can decrease that inflammation. Right, we can take we can take the system down a notch, the stress system. We're not in as much threat as we might have thought from all those right. chair emails and all those chair conversations, right? And all the chair life that Dr. Dave leads. Right. There's also things I wonder though, uh, Dave, that might be stressful that we totally don't recognize. Like I was oh, yeah. on a trip recently and I'm on a, on the highway with a buddy, and it's like we're calm, we think we're calm. We're having a conversation, car, we looking through the window, seeing the world around us. But I wonder, like, is the nervous system like we're in a steel box barreling down this weird road with things flying by where our peripheral vision is not optimized and there's other steel boxes flying by. And it's like, I wonder how many of the things that we, I don't want to say take for granted that are just become so common in like society and culture that are stressful that we really don't even recognize something as simple as just driving down the road and because you know if you look at if you zoom out evolutionarily like that is a brand new thing and it takes quite a while for adaptations to take place i think i think yeah 
Well, so driving down the road is a really interesting example. I'm glad you brought that up because it illustrates the mul the multifactorial nature of of just just how interesting this these questions we're asking are, right? So if you think about the car. The car is from what you just described, one of the most dangerous experiences that we face as human beings on a daily basis, right? Yeah, for sure. Right? It is one of the most dangerous things we do. It has the highest likelihood of injury and death, et cetera, of all the things that we engage in on a regular basis. So you think about that. And then you think about how we have a society that completely functions in large part based on people driving themselves or driving other people around in these vehicles. And we've adapted to being in that state. And the reason why that that's acceptable to humans, that level of regular risk, is not just because we've built tolerance to it. It's not just because we've been doing it for so long that the risk was accept became acceptable. It's that plus our earliest experiences in the car have com often competing positive inputs from the car, like gentle vibration from the wheels, right? So if you think about everybody remembers either in their own kids or in themselves falling asleep in the back seat over the wheel bed right on the highway. There's a certain frequency and rhythm that occurs when that wheel is spinning at a certain speed that results in a frequency of vibration that gets transferred from the car to our bodies that says, take a nap. Exactly. Right. You, you're feeling safe enough to calm down right now. So despite all of that danger, that existential threat and the, and the potential actual threat that we know exists from getting in a car. And the real threat of just watching cars barreling at you down a highway going 80 to whatever, 60 to 100 miles an hour. We can set all of that aside because we have an association of positivity that is closer to us. It's literally touching us, vibrating our, our inner organs that is saying you're safe right now. That's fascinating. Never thought of it that way. Not it's to that, mention- It's the, that powerful. Not to mention, I guess, maybe the associations we have of when you get to where you're going, it's a place you want to be, like seeing a loved one or friend or having a fun activity. Exactly. Like if, if every time you got in the car, you went to, you went to the dentist, right? <laughs> right? How excited would you be as an adult to drive? Probably not very. You'd probably get a job you could walk to. <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> or work remotely. <laughs> that's funny. But, that's, but that's, why the, that's why this understanding of how we learn is so important because, which is really not that complicated. It's like, what you learn, when you learn it, and what else you're doing in your life around the time that you learn it gets automatically associated on a map of this happened at this time with these other things that also happened at this time. And then when we sleep and we go into REM sleep, we reconsolidate all those memories and our brain starts to figure out, oh, well, maybe every time we do this, that happens, right? Maybe I didn't realize that pattern before. So then you start pattern making and you're like, oh, maybe I... Maybe I shouldn't do that anymore because every time I do that, I wind up in an uncomfortable situation. And then we can start building either avoidance behaviors or we start figuring out ideally how to build behaviors that actually overcome the discomfort of those experiences and learn how to be more comfortable in whatever experience we're doing. Interesting. And you just mentioned REM sleep with that. So is that the cycle where all that goes down, where we build those, um, I guess, associations in our in our subconscious somehow or? So the association is made in real time. Real time, okay. So in real time, as we're having whatever experience, like 
as we're experiencing driving to the dentist, we are experiencing the threat of, I know I'm going to have to have potential pain associated with this driving experience, right? So that is in, in, that is entrained in our brains in real time. The more we think about it, the tighter those neurons get talking to each other, the stronger the connections, the more likely we are to think about pain every time we think about getting into a car. So that's happening in real time. What happens when we're in REM sleep is that that experience that just happened, which is now still in mostly short-term memory, goes into a part of the brain that filters it and, and arranges it and finds similarities between it and all past experiences that share attributes. Dentist, car, outcome from being in car, pain, right? All of those things get associated during that REM sleep period, which is called reconsolidation. It's like the integration of present memories with past memories and defragging, reorganizing, right? That That's fascinating. So do you think the REM sleep, like the quality or the amount of the REM sleep you get has an effect on like the stress threshold, the stress, the threshold of stress that you like your tolerance to whatever yeah. life experience that has all these associations to it? Yeah. Tolerance, clarity, understanding, all of it. Right. That's and the same interesting. With, and the same with deep sleep. They're 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 important for different reasons. Deep sleep is, I think, more where we're finding the body is entering its deepest recovery state. But deep and REM together are the most important. And REM is specifically important for that memory reconsolidation reorganization process because that's also when our brains start to sift through. Okay, how important is this one experience really? Like, if I had ten experiences before this where I got into cars and had went to places I really enjoyed, but then had one experience that was associated with mucho pain at the dentist, right? When I got in the car, then am I going to let that one experience of pain at the dentist negatively reflect all of my previous positive experiences in the car? Or is that just going to be a blip on the, on the graph, right? And our brains make that decision in large part, not completely, but in large part for us by prioritizing it in that sleep, REM sleep reconsolidation process. That's wild. So it's doing a little like risk analysis and probability work so that we don't let that that rare occasion kind of distort our sense of reality and then not get in a car. Right. That's wild. Or, or, or not just disturbing. not get in a car, but like impair functioning in general. Right? right. Like if you don't go to the dentist, you're going to lose your freaking teeth. <laughs> you know, we don't want that to happen. So that's crazy. You think about all the people that are sleep deprived chronically i know i mean i work in a gym environment but it's still like even though we're there primarily to exercise it's like topic number one all you know just all the time and people have trouble with it and i know i have and the REM cycle is interesting too because from what i've learned and you seem to know about this stuff maybe you can correct me as you go through your sleep cycles throughout the night the relationship of how much REM you get in each cycle build. So like the last cycles you get early in the morning are the most REM heavy. So if you cut off like just an hour of sleep because of your alarm, but it's the last hour, you might've wiped out like half your potential REM. Is that accurate? It's, or? it's possible. Yeah. I mean, it, it does definitely happen that way for some people. That's why people are really grumpy when they're woken up in the middle of a REM cycle. So in general, you know, there's a little experimentation that we can all do by wearables aren't super helpful for this because unfortunately they're not particularly accurate at tracking deep sleep and REM sleep stages. 
yet. They are getting better, but they're not great yet. So uh, I think they're like 65 or 70% accurate at best Ooh, okay. for, for the best sleep stage trackers that are wearable. So take that with a grain of salt, but ultimately thinking about when you feel the most rested when you wake up is probably timed at the end of a REM cycle. So think about it from the standpoint of like drawing attention to how we feel and trying to pay more attention to how we feel in the morning or in general. I have, I, you know, do how's my energy level? Let's do a check-in, right? How's my energy level? Am I feeling rested? Am I feeling cognitively clear? Am I feeling ready to focus, ready to go? Or am I feeling kind of tired and sluggish and not really wanting to get out of bed? You know, like, well, how am I feeling? Let's do those check-ins, right? And let's do a couple check-ins throughout the day as, as our routine goes on. And then we start to realize like, you know, hey, I'm, I'm feeling, you know, not the way I want to. So let's let's do what we need to do to to start to reset that and and restore balance. And you know, I think part of what you might have experienced with Apollo that's so helpful, um, whether you notice it or not, that a lot of people experience is that just by boosting vagal tone, just by increasing calming sensation to the body, we are effectively increasing activity and resources to the parasympathetic rest and digest nervous system. And which is what Apollo is doing through the sense of touch that gives resources to empathy systems, reproductive systems, uh, immune systems, digestive systems, right? Inflammatory systems help them make sure they're functioning properly and not overactive or underactive and metabolism and, and making sure our, our weight balance is, is, is restored and that we have these systems that run in the background that make sure that we can function and not just function, but thrive in life. Right. Yeah, you you mentioned metabolism. I, I've been diving in lately and learning that link a little bit more deeply. That in the stressed environment, regardless of the stress, because I guess the nervous system can't really distinguish all the different types of stress. At the cellular level, the metabol it really distorts metabolism, and we have these, I guess, kind of back burner systems, like in in case of emergency, break glass type systems, to create energy out of fuel but they're like not as efficient so and there's so much of other physical systems that rely on that like foundational energy metabolism at the cell and anything you can do to lower that stress state so that at the heart of everything you're making energy that winds up being used in all the other you know overlapping systems that run our body it's, it's very, it's very interesting. Like stress has such a big role in every aspect of our life. And like we mentioned with the car, a lot of people, I just don't think really notice all the stresses they're imposed to. You're a psychiatrist. Do you still, do you, are you currently working with patients? Oh yeah, definitely. So what's, what's a common um, example, I guess, that comes up where you see that someone is clearly stressed from something and they and they don't. That's a great question. I would say the best example of that is people who live in very, very busy cities who have tons of background noise around them at all times. Oh, right. Construction noise, buses, trains, right? Just like people talking loudly outside their house, their room, things like that all the time increase our stress level at baseline. They increase our heart rate, resting heart rate, they increase our blood pressure, they increase our respiratory rate, they make our thoughts go faster, right? All of those things are signs of stress impacting the body, but we are often, you know, if anybody who spent long times in the city, 
knows that your body just gets used to it, right? You start to, or, and your mind gets used to it. You start to adapt to a new baseline. You're like, this is my city baseline. My heart rate's just higher here. My blood pressure's higher here. It's nothing to be alarmed about. It's just the way things are. And you adapt to a new threshold of functioning. Um, that I see all the time, but then eventually over time, people often do manifest symptoms of, of mental illness or other illness, burnout, et cetera, because they've been ignoring the fact that they're bombarding their body with loud noises for so long and their body's been running at, you know, at a higher, at a higher RPM for a longer period of time. The body's like, Hey, wait a minute. You know, I need a break. Like I need a break from all of this. This is a lot. You've really been pushing me, man. Like we need to settle it down. Right. And so that's where Apollo is helpful because it helps just transition during the day. Normally, when you think about what we use, think about what we use to make that transition happen. Hey, I need to calm down. Okay. Let's drink a beer. Right. Let's, let's smoke. Let's take a sedative. Right. Let's go take, you know, people take Xanax, benzos, opiates. They, you know, go out for drinks all the time. You know, alcohol is the most addictive, commonplace sedative and it's legal everywhere in our country, which is fine. I enjoy a glass of wine myself, but it's also extremely potentially harmful to us to do that as the easiest thing to calm down because it disrupts our sleep and makes it makes us not as recovered the next day. And when you're not as recovered the next day, what do you do? You drink coffee, you take a stimulant, right? You try to take a medicine or a substance that lasts hours in our bodies and has side effects that are unintended every time, not just sometimes, but every time, whether we notice the side effects or not is is up to us noticing them, but we, our bodies are experiencing all effects in every medicine we take, good and bad. So you think about that, and then you're disrupting your sleep the next day because now you're reliant. You're taking a stimulant like coffee every day to stay focused, and then you know you wind up peeing more, and you wind up more more anxious, more irritable during the day, and then you get into this cycle. You're in a cycle, yeah. Yeah. So Apollo helps to fit in between the cycle. What we see is people still drink, and they still drink coffee. They still drink alcohol, but they just do it more intentionally. They do it less often because they feel they need to. They When they need it, a boost or, or a calm boost or a wind down, they rely on Apollo. But if they want a cup of coffee because they really need an extra boost of energy or they really, you know, need, want, want to celebrate, then they partake in, in the, in the substance, but the substance is not something we rely and depend on to access a certain state. Gotcha. That's the nature of addiction, by the way. So if you can, if you don't rely on the substance to access a certain state and you don't depend on it and, and it doesn't mess up your life in any way, but the priority on the first two, you're generally not considered to be addicted to something. But if you feel you rely and or depend on a substance experience, video game, whatever, to get you into a certain state, and that's a state that you tend to want to be in a lot of the time, then you will wind up in a relationship of an abusive relationship with that substance or that video game or that activity. Yeah, I've had a lot of addictions over my life. I, I drank booze every night for 23 years and I was hooked on opiates, cocaine, stopped all that stuff. Uh, yes, you know, you know this well. It, it's been an interesting journey. I've just kind of traded the addictions for healthier ones. You know, I tell myself that <laughs> it's not a problem, but even like my healthy addictions can be problematic but i i'm always trying to flex the muscle of like awareness like look look at what you're doing like did you need to do that like yeah this is better than that but did you really need to do that? what are you chasing right. here what are you soothing right. what are you hiding right um and it's good you ask those questions because those questions keep us on our path nobody's perfect everybody's going to do stuff like this you know everybody's going to trade one for another the goal is to just try to focus on the healthier stuff and then focus on expanding our awareness so that we're actually 
you know, aware that the power is really within us and these are tools and we need to be respectful of them and hopefully our respect for them will grow as we get to work with them. Yeah, have that intention. Identify why you want to do them and, you know, what you really want and then try to line up the, uh, the activities, the way you spend the minutes of your day to point in that direction at least. And being okay and not judging yourself for getting off track or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's so on the topic of stress, I have a few people in my life, some are clients and some are like family members that I see, and they have this amazing like mindset in a, in a well, I wouldn't say it's a, they have a mindset that shows up in a way that helps them. I don't know if it's like a survival strategy, but they really minimize the stress. Like I look at them and I see a stressed person and I see physical manifestations of a, of chronic stress, but they're so optimistic and they have such a great way at looking at life to some degree that it's like, it's over, it's almost masking it. And some of it could be like, well, it is what it is. Can't do anything about it. So just move on. Or, but some is just so optimistic that they don't notice anything. Like I'll see them completely sleep deprived, clearly digestion issues. And they think they're doing fantastic because they've like overridden the signs or maybe they just haven't hit their wall. Like everybody has their own kind of pain point and maybe some people never really get it, but um, it's interesting. Like, I wonder if the Apollo could be a tool to get them paying more attention, go like going inward. There, you know, there's something. It, there's like a meditative component to it where definitely it's uh, introspective or whatever. And maybe it could just help them listen more deeply to their own body. I wonder if that mindset is an adaptation to kind of survive, go forward, mask, soothe, whatever. Yeah. I mean, for a lot of us, our bodies are, are we've, we've been taught that our bodies are painful places to be, mm. right? So for many of us, we spend time ignoring our bodies and ignoring how, how they feel and what's happening to them emotionally, mentally, and physically to focus on being productive or doing whatever it is we are taught we're supposed to be doing instead, right? And so there is a Apollo is in a lot of ways like breathing, but without, you know, Apollo, you don't have to do anything. You just strap it on, but it teaches us like breathing to be aware of our bodies, which, and like soothing touch massage, you know, these deliver this neural neuronal signal from the skin to the center of our emotional cortex that says um, positively activate the emotional brain in the part that's responsible for empathy the parts responsible for feeling and feeling is broken down predominantly to feeling emotions is empathy, feeling what others feel, introspection, feeling what I feel, looking inside myself and then, and self-inquiry and then interoception, feeling my body, right? Being aware of my body. And so effectively, as we're doing this, we're literally training our body with Apollo, with touch, with breath, with movement, right? With, with song and music. And by being mindful during those experiences, we are training our, ourselves to be more present in our bodies and therefore training our bodies to, you know, we're training alignment, we're training balance. I remember when I started using it, I, I really went heavy on the sleep. That was like what I leaned on. So for the listeners, the, the foundation. Yeah, the Apollo has, I guess, about um, eight-ish different 
program like um songs that'll sing to you i guess seven vibes seven vibes okay and uh one of them is sleep and i I would turn it all the way up um even against its recommendation (laughs) and um and i'd put it on my ankle i just felt it um i don't know i didn't want it on my wrist i guess you could now you've upgraded it where you can clip it on it you know a lot of different places your belt your collar but originally when i got it, it just had the straps you put it on the wrist or the ankle yeah the ankle's the best for sleep definitely yeah that's what i and i was so i'm so weird i would like i liked it on one ankle more than the other but i didn't want to leave the other ankle never getting a chance so like every third day i'd let the other ankle humans are crazy. So I, uh, <laughs> no, I mean, some, yeah. you got to do so, what feels good. But I remember like, this was a real tough time. I was having like major immune flares, major emotional stress, the family stress, like the toughest kind, um, waking up to a lot of like the realizing that I had a lot of like work to do of like childhood trauma. And I was like in the midst of like a real like shit show in my mind, I guess. And having that little tool on my ankle laying in bed to kind of help me you know soothe myself to drift off was great and then i'd wake up in the middle of the night and had this great feature and by the way thank you for having a uh airplane mode to be able to put in so You're welcome. For, for some of us that are really weird about like ems like i really appreciate that there's other devices that i have not used because they don't have that and um but yeah, there was this this feature that even if it was on airplane, you can just hit a button or the two buttons on it will replay the last one. So if I woke up in the middle of the night, I didn't have to do anything. I could get right back to that sensation and soothe right back. It was very helpful. Um, who's I, was that your idea to have the airplane mode? Or- yeah, that was our idea. Cause we were, <laughs> we were going to a lot of, you know, these conferences with, you know, biohackers and, and oh. seeing what people were talking about and hearing what people were talking about. And we were seeing that. a lot of, I was seeing a lot of patients with EMF sensitivity. So I started to think about it. And so we included it in there on purpose. Yeah. Um, the EMF the, is real. Yeah. The, that sensitivity yeah. is definitely real. Well, but we the, have a, what's that? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. After you. We have a, a kill switch in our house. So we hit a button and a lot of electricity goes out right before bed. And it's like you you just feel it, wow! Like the it's it's pretty it's pretty wild. Um, yeah, that's pretty interesting. So yeah, so it, it was it was paramount in my healing because without like without the sleep, you don't regenerate, you don't heal, right. and that was uh, the tool I probably relied on most to get through that period. And like I said, I like I didn't plan on asking questions about this, but what brought me to it was meeting someone that was gifting me uh, some psychedelic material to tinker with. And that was interesting. And I, I've done a little bit of research on this stuff, but not a whole lot. He gave me a powder that he got from Peru. It was um, San Pedro powder. So I guess it has a little bit of mescaline, I think is the psychoactive ingredient. And I, um, I would, he recommended like, a, or no, I went online and found a protocol. It was like every four or five days, take a little bit. And it was like, start really small. You really shouldn't notice it. And this was right around that same time where I was working through some past stuff and really recognizing like the impact of uh, my parents splitting up and like the impact that had on me and like feelings of abandonment and realizing that a lot of my, um, 
adult behaviors that were, I mean, I don't want to say like they were bad behaviors. They were just like the responses I had to not feeling worthy of my dad's love, like not feeling good enough for him to stick around and such and feeling. And then every time in life um, where I needed him to come towards me, he'd get, you know, I'm too mad to talk to you and he'd go away. And it just kind of would re-trigger this cycle. And I was like, discovering this effect on me around this time in my life and picking up the pieces and working through it. And I would get in these thought cycles where it was like this negative thought would lead to this one would lead to this one. It was every day, multiple times through the day. And then I would take this little powder. I'd put um, just like a pinch in my coffee. I'd wait till it was gross. It's like very bitter. So I'd wait till I had like, an ounce left of my morning coffee and I would put it in there and just chug it. And it was crazy. It was, um, it was like those thoughts as if, as they started to arise, like before they could manifest in anything, I was able to recognize it and either like just scoot it over nicely. Not like I was bearing it, but like, I don't need that. Or like reframe. It was like, I know why I behaved that way. I did it because of this. Like, it's not a bad thing. I did the perfect thing I should do. And I had this like total reframing. It was very easy for me to think about these things without the, without getting trapped in the cycle. Um, you've done some research on this stuff. Uh, is it understood what's going on that allows us to change the way that we think about these or how to break out and get that like pattern disruptor of these negative thought cycles. I know I'm not alone. I know a lot of people get, especially people that don't feel good, gets, they have these cycles in their mind where they just get stuck and spin in them. Yeah, the, the looping and cycling thoughts is definitely a challenging situation You know, I, I, to overcome and sort through, especially when we practice it for so long, it becomes highly entrained, right? So it's very important to remember that this is not, the fact that we're doing this negative thinking that we, that we're doing it at all, it's not personal. It's not that there's actually something wrong with us. It's just we were taught to think about this way or not taught to not think about ourselves this way, right? It's trained, learned behavior. So if it's a learned behavior, it means we can unlearn the behavior. We can evaluate it and say, hey, is this behavior serving me? And then it's not right now, not serving me. Like thinking about how I'm a shitty person or how I'm unworthy of love, because that's not serving me right now, which it's probably not. And we usually assess that during using the CBT technique, which is the, is it true or is it useful test? So is this thought that I am not worthy of love true and useful to me right now in this moment? Even if I can trick myself into thinking that it's true based on my thoughts of myself in the past, my tricky brain, it's definitely not useful to me. So it doesn't pass the test. Therefore it's not worthy of my attention. And I can allow, I can acknowledge it as a thought that came to me Hey, I acknowledge you thought. I see you. Thanks for letting me know you're there, but you're not really useful right now. So I'll come back to you later. And then when it pops up the next time, yeah, same question. And what most people find when they start doing this test, which is really a fundamental expression of gratitude for our ability to control our attention to not negative things that don't serve us, is or you know what we call vampiric thoughts because once you invite them in, they just totally take over, right? It's it's. Uh, you know, once we recognize that, then we can practice it and we can start to retrain our filter and our brains to only allow what is true and useful to us in those, in those moments, in any moment through. 
And anything that's not just gets dismissed and has to come back later. Um, so it's, again, as you said, it's not a repression of thinking or a suppression of thinking. It's an acknowledgement of how we think and feel without judgment that just says, hey, I see you. I'm not going to judge myself for you. I'm not going to judge you for you. I'm just going to say, I see you, thought. <laughs> not going to overly interpret what you mean about me or what this, mm. what this is, you know, I'm just going to say, I see you, but you're not treating me usefully right now. I'll come back to you later. And then if you need to even set aside half an hour a week where you journal about those things, right? And then that makes sure you're going to actually come back to it later, right? If you actually want to. But so that technique of what we call like the the attention interception effectively, um, which can be done with that is it true, is it useful test or the practice of gratitude or Apollo, right? They're all, it's a technique that helps break that cycle. It breaks that loop of negative intrusive thinking, that void by steering us from judging ourselves for having these thoughts and judging ourselves for the awareness and judging ourselves for even thinking about it in the first place or what have you to I'm grateful for the opportunity. Right? Like I'm grateful for the opportunity to acknowledge this thought, to know that it's there, grateful for the awareness. I don't necessarily want to think about that right now. So because it's not true and useful, I'm going to let it pass. I'm going to redirect my attention to something else. And that practice every time, making sure that we do ourselves the, the honor because we deserve it as human beings. We deserve to have control over what comes in to do our, and control over our attention. So we're doing ourselves the solid of saying, I'm going to, I'm going to put my thoughts through the test. Right. I'm going to put my thoughts through the test. I'm going to make sure that I'm only letting through the good stuff, not any of this bad stuff. How much of the stuff is bad for the average person who starts? It's like 95% that we dismiss. Right. Which is not a bad thing. It just gives you 95% more cognition back. Right. 95% more brain power back to things in your life that are only true and useful. Think about how awesome that is. You can't, that's free. That's freely available to you. Right. 90 to 95% more cognition. And we're just kind of sitting on it being like, well, nah. <laughs> That's right? great, man. Yeah. What was the name of that test the, with the question, the true and useful test? Is it true? Is it useful test? Okay. And th this is at the core of all cognitive behavioral therapy. Okay. Um, which yeah, is one of, that... the, one of the most effective psychotherapy techniques that we use. Yeah, that's some mental judo for yourself right there. Very quickly, just kind of disengage the problem or re reshape it place it to the side well it's so bringing your it's bringing the, the it's bringing the center of control back to us right so if i'm thinking there's something wrong with me but i can't do anything about it right now then you've already ceded your control to that thing that idea that concept you've given away your control and every time you pay attention to that thing you're giving away control over how you feel to this idea that there's something wrong with us and there's nothing we can do about it right yeah, now. That's very empowering to have a tool like that. So simple too and free. And then Apollo is a support, which just makes it easier to feel what it feels like to do that, right? To be present in your body with your thoughts, all of a sudden you can be like, oh, I have a broadened awareness now, right? Like I'm in my body. I'm not living in the past or the future only. I'm in the moment. In the moment, what's happening is I'm thinking X, Y, Z. Is XYZ true and useful to me right now? Maybe it is, but maybe it's not. So if it's not, then I actually, in my body's sense, in the present moment here now, where all of our truest power lies as human beings, we can literally ask ourselves the question, what do I do with my attention right now? Not yesterday, not tomorrow. What do I do with it right now?
and then you restore power back to yourself. Yeah, I found myself going through, I guess, similar or parallel situations in my mind, maybe not the exact like question, is this true? Is this useful? Right. But you're an inquisitive guy, right? You, you're inquiring. Yeah. Like it's very clear from talking. That's to put to it you. very nicely. Yeah. Would, <laughs> my family would, would use a more negatively slanted <laughs> adjective. Um, what, so, what was I? Oh, yeah. So the psychedelic component of that like why does a psychedelic allow you to even frame that question like do we because, know or yeah we do ahead. know yeah we do know so so the reason we're gonna ask something else or should i jump no in? no go ahead man so the reason why is because is because psychedelic medicines are doing something very similar to apollo and touch when used in the proper set and setting so in the right environment where you have safety, you feel comfortable, you trust the people around you, you don't have any concerns whatsoever for the next six to 10 hours or whatever, everything's like all good in the hood, then you can administer a psychedelic medicine or we can as clinicians administer a psychedelic medicine like ketamine, MDMA or psilocybin when those two are legal um, or San Pedro, uh, they all kind of work in a similar manner to biochemically and molecularly activate certain receptor path pathways in the brain that amplify those networks around safety and emotional safety that we were talking about earlier, that soothing touch and Apollo activate. So part of the way we developed Apollo was I was working in the field department of psychiatry. I was treating veterans with severe PTSD. What, what, what works really badly for veterans with severe PTSD, unfortunately, is most of the drugs that we have available as Western trained psychiatrists. But what works really well, MDMA, right? MDMA-assisted therapy specifically works really, really well. 42 hours of psychotherapy with just three doses of MDMA results in 88% response rate from the most recent trials, 88% response rate, and 67% of people are no longer meeting diagnostic criteria at one year out after treatment with no additional treatment in between. And these people had no additional treatment recommended by the study in between. People did their own things, but overall, nothing in between. And people uh, had 17 years on average PTSD. So we're seeing these results come in at these seemingly paradigm shifting, almost you know, miraculous results with these this MDMA experience that, from the outset, looks like it's actually working because it's teaching people how to heal by allowing them to feel safe enough to reappraise their own traumatic history, their own traumatic events of their past, and go back and reevaluate how they feel about those and what it means about them and the ideas that that created for them about how they see themselves. And it gives us this moment of radical safety and radical self-acceptance and radical non-judgment where you can just see yourself or who you are without the connection to of your identity to the trauma, without your connection of your identity to all of these things that happened to you. Because the things that happened to you still happen to you. That's That's the truth. But how they relate to your identity is a perceptual error a lot of the time, right? It's us actually drawing a conclusion about ourselves because something happened to us that is inaccurate. So psychedelic medicines amplify safety in the moment for a certain amount of time when, in, when used in the safe therapeutic setting or a very, very highly, you know, with highly trained uh, shamanic setting in groups in, in, you know, indigenous culture induces, seems to induce a very similar effect where people are able to feel safe enough to reappraise 
how they feel about themselves and the meaning that they, the, the way in the way they see themselves as a result of these events in the past. And when you feel safe enough to do that, you can effectively rewrite the story of your life. That's amazing. So it's, it's actually tapping into a, a similar area of the brain that the Apollo does. Apollo does it through the skin. The psychedelic medicines do it through the molecules in the brain, in the neurons. That's wild. At least that's what we can tell right now. We're doing studies to actually show this, to actually show that these two are doing the same thing, but which are happening right now uh, at the VA and other places. But that's what seems to be likely happening. For so would you would you run the you so seventeen years of trauma or living with a trauma? Then they do three sessions with a practitioner guiding them. Two and then practitioners. He, two. Oh, okay. Yeah, two and therapists. Two therapists. Okay. Oh, can you elaborate on that? Why two? Like one person in a room, and you it's need a, two. It's an it's an eight hour session for six to eight hours oh. for MDMA. It's three hours gotcha. for for ketamine therapy. Four to six for psilocybin therapy. It there's a lot of vulnerable material that comes up during those sessions, and it's just easier for everyone, the patient, in terms of their outcomes and the clinicians, to have two people present, especially in complex cases. It provides more support, more of a container, and, and allows you, for and you do breaks. this. Okay, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you yeah, do we, that. You're one of those people that carries out those sessions. Well, that with must ke- be with with ketamine. With ketamine, yeah, that must be the only legal psychedelic that, right now. Gotcha. It that is. must be fascinating to see how that unfolds for people. It's incredible. It's the most rewarding work I have ever done. That's I mean, great, man. I bet. It's, it's really it's really exciting and. And to see how technology interfaces with it, you know, we were, we've done a lot of these sessions without Apollo. As soon as we had Apollo available, I mean, it just radically improved our success rates. You know, and we're seeing this with lots of other clinics also, that clinic, Apollo is the first technology in, in, that's ever received a U.S. patent for mitigating the side effects of medicine-assisted therapy, reducing unpleasantness associated with medicine-assisted therapy in a wearable, oh. right? So that's really interesting because that extends to psychedelic medicine, improving experiences in psychedelic medicine, but also improving experience in things like chemotherapy and dialysis and anything where there's medicine and therapy together, right? A procedure. So there's a really interesting opportunity. And we've seen this with a lot of clinics and clinical trials are up and running in this area too, where we see how does technology actually make, help us potentially make psychedelic experiences more accessible easier to access or easier to access in terms of less less scary for first timers right more accessible is in easier to find your therapist and get access to care and three is less potential side effects right there are still some side effects there's not a lot but they exist and how do we make that easier for people to go through that that program that's so awesome. I'm excited to see how that unfolds over these next few years. I'm watching the clock. I know we're running out of time here. So you have the device on your collar right now. Can I ask a little uh, personal information about how you use the Apollo, how you fit it into your your routines? Of course. Um, I, so I've, it's a funny question too, because I've been using Apollo longer than pretty much everyone except Catherine, uh, who's my wife and the CEO. So We've been using it for about four years since the earliest prototypes that we made. Um, I would say I use it mostly on the weekdays, less on the weekends. I use it, I used to use it, uh, I pretty much have been using it almost every weekday since for maybe about two years now. 
Um, and the reason, and, and the way I use it is I have it on a schedule. And we didn't always have the scheduling feature out, but what we realized was that people use Apollo more often, like not, not vibrating all day, all the time at 100%, but using it for about three, three to four hours a day, five days a week, seem to get the best results in terms of sleep and health. And the, and the results that we see from that are if, you, if people who use it three hours a day or more, five days a week or more, just vibrating on your body, specifically for waking up in the morning, using it on a, for an hour, an hour or two in the morning, using it on an hour or two in the evening to wind down at, at bedtime, are that seem to be the critical shoulder areas of the day that make the biggest difference. And, and I, you know, if you have it on for a little bit during the day, that's good too, to maintain focus and maybe drink less caffeine. And that alone can give you 30 minutes more, up to 30 minutes more sleep back at night. That's over three months. That's concentrated in deep and REM sleep. And it can result in a redu reduction of heart resting heart rate by 4%, which is a huge, perc huge percentage for just wearing something. That's like the amount of exercise and uh, amount of change you get from exercise or meditation practice. Mm -hmm. And it also increases HRV heart rate variability by roughly 11% on average, just by wearing it and providing the benefits of soothing touch on the go. So, so this is not changing when you go to bed. You're talking about it's improving the quality of the sleep given a fixed amount of time total in bed. And it helps regulate your circadian cycle because it gives you energy in the morning naturally without a drug. And it helps wind you down so you naturally feel tired and ready to go to sleep by the time you're going to get into bed or whenever you want to go to bed. And you and you get that in the schedule. And then even if Apollo's on airplane mode, the schedule saves to the device. So the, right. the device can just run the schedule all week. And then all you have to do is put it on and keep it charged and maybe connect it to your phone once in a while to upload your data. And then you have in there a little box that can completely regulate your sleep and wake cycles and you can get those benefits just by wearing it. So I have not um, used the schedule yet, but I'm inspired. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna put that to use. You're gonna love it. That is the number one best feature of the device because it automate it, it you have to manually set up your schedule but once right. you put in your wake time and your sleep time and then a couple of vibes during the day to help maintain your daily um your daily energy and that kind of thing and clarity and focus then that becomes like your imprint for the day and you might have a different experience maybe your days on Monday Wednesday Friday or different Tuesday and Thursday you can settle that up but the point is that circadian rhythmicity having a reliable sleep and wake cycle over our day to day Having energy and being energized and, and acting in an energetic way when we want to be energized, like in the mornings and the afternoons, and then actually being intentional around the wind down at the end of the day and surrounding ourselves with, with stimulating stuff in the morning and wind down stuff and soothing stuff in the evening is and nighttime is critical to regulating that circadian cycle. And the more consistent that circadian cycle is, the better deep, better sleep you get, deep and REM, and the longer sleep you get, the more efficiently you sleep. And also the better our heart functions and the better we feel uh, mentally, emotionally, and the better we perform cognitively and physically. So all of these things are linked together. I think the commonplace way of thinking about it for years has been, these are all isolated and separate, but they are absolutely not in any way isolated and separate. And the mind and the body and the emotional mind and body are all intricately linked. And understanding the linkages kind of unlocks the key to, you know, the secret menu or whatever. All right. Well, that's great. Um, Dr. Dave, thank you very much. This has been uh, filled with some really good information. I'm sure listeners will find some value. And I definitely encourage everybody to, to check out 
Apollo Neuro and see if it's a good fit for them. It's um, It's been just a great tool to have. So again, I, I thank you for the work you've done to create it and all those on the team that helped you out, I'm sure. Is there anything else you would like to add for the audience or share how they could find out more? Sorry, I was on mute. Um, yes, I'd be happy to. Um, first off, thanks so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. I really enjoyed our conversation and um, it is music to my ears that you were having such a great experience with Apollo. Nothing makes us happier than to hear people enjoying the product. I mean, it has been an absolute game changer for us. I don't think, I think, I don't think Catherine, I would hesitate to tell you that we would not have gotten as far in this business world making such a complicated technology uh, and product without having the help of the product along the way to get us there. So, because um, it's been, it's quite a challenge running a startup. So we are really, really grateful for having the opportunity to make something like this that has been so helpful. And if for everybody who wants to check out Apollo, you can check it out at apolloneuro.com. That's A-P-O-L-L-O-N-E-U-R-O.com. Or for simplicity's sake, you can go to wearablehugs.com, which also works. Um, if you want to, we'll, we'll link to all that in the show notes, folks. Too. Yeah, and, and if you want to reach out to me, uh, please. I, I love to hear from you. I uh, you can find me on socials, Instagram and Twitter at Dr. David Rabin, and you can find me on Clubhouse almost every week for the psychedelic news, which is called the Psychedelic Report, thepsychedelicreport.com. Um, and uh, please join us. My on Clubhouse, I'm at Dr. Dave Rabin. The show is called the Psychedelic Report. And um, on Clubhouse, you can come and say hi. You can participate, ask questions of me and the, and the special guests live. And we'd love to hear from you. So thank you. Oh, that's cool. I'll definitely be checking that out. Dr. Dave, thanks again. And for the listeners out there, always grateful for your ears and your attention. I really appreciate it. Hope you got value out of it. And if you know somebody you think would also get value, please share it along. Everybody out there, have a great day. Thanks again for tuning in for another episode. I enjoyed talking with Dr. Dave Rabin from Apollo Neuro. And like I said, I'm really grateful for the work that he's done because I'm a big fan of the Apollo device. I think stress is really one of the biggest things interfering with our ability to kind of live the life that we want and be at our best. So anything that we can do to help is worth exploring. There's a lot of tools out there that could help us manage stress. And I guess I just recommend checking them out and finding what's right for you. If you feel like you're having difficulty managing stress, whether it's mental, emotional, physical, then I do encourage you to check out the link and um, see if the Apollo Neuro is a good fit for you. And if there's someone close to you in your life that you see is really struggling and doesn't know how to navigate through the stress in their life, then please send this uh, episode their way and maybe they can get some value out of it. So once again, I appreciate the uh, listening and I hope you all have a terrific day.